Hello, this is Jean Achille, and welcome to the next episode of The Work Podcast. I co-host The Work Podcast with John Sumser, and we are delighted to have Jason Averbuck as our guest today. Jason, of course, heads LeapGen, but Jason has had a long-standing thought leadership position here in the HR tech industry. So, Jason, welcome to The Work yeah, thank you so much. Hi, John. Hi, Jean. And I just wanted to start by saying thank you for all the great work you guys do to uh, educate the industry. I love the show that you do. Um, it's one of my playlist items all the time. So oh, that's thank you great. For all of the work that you guys do to make this space better. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's that's a high compliment coming from you. Hey, Jason, I know that you are, um, you know, really kind of kind of uh, overlooking the category, and also the confluence of other variables such as um, such as the labor market reports and the economy and things of that nature. As we as we kind of step in, maybe with some trepidation to 2023, what do you think the economy means to HR and to HR tech? So I think that if anyone's paying attention, which I hope you are, to you know basically what's going on in the economy and watching the press releases and going one step deeper, I mean, in our 150 clients talking to them on a day-to-day basis, HR organizations for the most part are getting stripped of any excess resource. Um, And when we think about excess resource, organizations define excess resource differently based on the value that they put on HR. So in many cases, that's things like HR technology and people that are thinking about the future of HR technology. In many cases, it's things like change management and communications. In many cases, it's things like learning. Um, And what we're watching is we're really watching two different organizations within these big companies emerge. Companies that truly think that HR is the future and is going to create the path of, hey, if we invest now, as the economy improves in 24, 25, we're going to be a leader. And then economies that are trying to save their way out of an economy that's uncertain at the moment. And it's so fascinating to watch because within two seconds, you can tell where people fall. Yeah. But overall, we're looking at reductions in the number of internal resources that organizations have and a much greater emphasis on choosing the initiatives that are going to move the needle when it comes to what we're trying to make HR into the future. I'll just pause because there's a lot of follow up after that. Yeah, I, I, I've always maintained that cost cutting is not a growth strategy, <laughs> and and um, you know it makes me really sad when I see some of the uh, almost knee jerk reactions that are going on out in the market right now, and uh, you know I, I, I the three of us are contemporaries so to speak in terms of our tenure in the category we've all seen this before and 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 it doesn't bode well when business comes roaring back to have made the, you know, these deep cuts to the bone. Yeah, and I'm just going to add one thing. I know John probably wants to jump in right here, but the, you know, the, the, uh, the thing I say is we've seen this before, but we haven't seen this before at such an intersection of lots of things in time. Okay. So we've seen this before where the housing market in 2008 and all of that stuff crashed the economy. But at that same time, we weren't recovering from a global pandemic. We weren't recovering from a social justice pandemic. 
we weren't realizing that this concept of return to work versus work from home was such a topic. We weren't dealing with the diversity, equity, and inclusion topics that we're dealing with today. So not only are we seeing economic decline, we're seeing an economic decline at a moment in time where HR has the opportunity and is needed to truly create its space going forward. So I would say this is the most impactful moment in time when we've seen this economy you know, contract. And at the same time, I would say it's the most important time for HR to truly say, what do we want to be graded as a function? And how are we going to redefine ourselves in this now of work that we live today? So, so, so I have a, a slightly different view of what's going on. And that is, we've had 15 years of uninterrupted growth, 15 years of uninterrupted growth. And along that 15 years of uninterrupted growth, all sorts of bad habits have evolved um, that, um, that get in the way of pro productivity and focus. And so, so I don't see, I see a lot of fear mongering about the um, uh, contraction. And there's certainly a big emphasis. The first time I've seen this big an emphasis on making sure that budgets are being used productively. But I don't see, and, and maybe you have a better view than I do. You, you, you're, you may be much closer to what's going on in HR departments than I am, but I don't see the severity that you're, that you're talking about. What I see is a, um, an attempt to slow down and reimagine because something might happen. Right, and so and so and so, the contraction. There's a there's there's a a change going on in Silicon Valley, but I haven't seen it stretch out beyond Silicon Valley. And and maybe you've got some some good cases to talk about that. This is just a great time to go. Do we want to be doing all this stuff? We've grown and grown and grown and expanded, expanded, expanded. And is that really? Is all of that stuff that we're currently doing our purview, or do we want to get a little bit more focused on outcomes and specifics um, rather than a continuous expansion of our charter? Yeah, um, and so, so, it's, so it's a good time for reflection. I'm not sure that that the that it's a chicken little moment. So yes, 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 and yes, and no, and yes. Uh, that's those were a lot. Okay, we're done. Those were a lot of comments, John. All in one, in one, uh, in one state. Um, so, so first of all, let me just say, I'd say that in the last fifteen years, while the economy has been on the rise, you know, this is a this is a big generalization, but we've wasted that opportunity in HR to prove ourselves. We've been busy, 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 busy doing busy work, doing technology transitions versus truly transforming how work is supposed to work or how work could work to make work better. Yep. And it, 2020, it took a pandemic to all of a sudden say, oh, this is an OSM to say, you know, wow, we really need to think differently about work. So, yes, I agree with you that that 15 years has been great. And at the same time, I wish we were, I wish. And I personally will take some accountability for this. I spent more time helping organizations prepare for what 2020 and beyond was going to hold instead of helping them move to the cloud. Okay, I'll just stop right there um, and move on to another comment that you made. It is more than just tech companies. Okay. okay. 
and when I say it is more than just tech companies, that doesn't mean that people are getting laid off. Okay. But what it does mean is it does mean that those people are doing more layoffs. It does mean that those people are doing things like our retail customers are all looking at contraction. And HR people get involved in thinking about what are we going to do with all these people that all of a sudden aren't going to have jobs? Or what are we going to do with all these real estate people? What are we going to do with all these legal real estate people? What are we going to do with all these people that we hired you know, in this 2020 uptick in a lot of industries that we no longer are going to use? So it's not that HR people necessarily are getting laid off and that's the chicken little moment. The chicken little moment is HR is having to do different things. Okay, HR is having to do different things and HR is needing to more than ever focus. Like if I just picked one word out of everything you just said, John, it's focus. Right. You know, and having a clear captain saying, this is where we're going as a business. How do we in HR make sure that what we're doing every single step of the way aligns to that? And I see more than ever people leading HR organizations that aren't from HR that come out of the business. And that's really, really exciting because they can they know the business better and they are focusing. Now, when it comes to the tech side, that's a whole different discussion, which we can get to. But in the particular case of what you said, I don't think it's chicken little like the sky is falling. I think it's chicken little like, wow, there's a lot of change going on. We need to focus. I buy much of what you're saying. It, it's It's that the role of HR in the continue, continuous and accelerating disruption of industries um, is something that we haven't really ever spent any time thinking about. And so when you talk about all of these people who used to do this job who are no longer needed to do the job, that is the theme that we're gonna be working with for the next 30 or 40 years as we, but this is a great time to bring up ChatGPT as we lose people who used to do writing because much of the writing chore can be taken over by a machine today. Um, um, how do we deploy them elsewhere? And what do we do with that excess energy in our organizations? Do we immediately assume that it's a cost to be cut or do we think about reskilling and redeploying yeah. those kinds of people? Uh, because there's not any doubt in my mind that much of the work of writing that has been done tirelessly for hundreds of years is now going to be taken over um, by machines who will do it as well. Um, and so there's that whole category of worker who's going to need some adjustment to, to what constitutes a productive job. Um, and that's where HR should be playing. And I think the model that we've had from the 20th century is if we don't need you, we get rid of you. Um, and and so so I, I think I think that problem is going to get here pretty quickly, though. I, I'd love to to pick Jason's brain a bit about reskilling, because I, I saw you get really excited about other people from other parts of the business getting involved in, you know, people operations or, or what we would call HR. And, um, and then also, of course, we, we are coming off this situation where we have different work models now. We don't necessarily need all this brick and mortar, um, but we have some really valuable talent out there. And then overlay this 
to with the 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 reality of the numbers we don't have the birth rate to to bring people into our workforce anymore people are staying in jobs forever no one retires anymore we just redefine their work so so could we talk for a few minutes about reskilling yeah so first i just want to really quickly respond to some to john's comment and once again we could do i we're going to run out of time and then I'm going to. Oh, we could talk for three hours easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, John, <laughs> this is once again, I don't, this isn't a chicken little statement or this isn't meant to be a headline of this podcast, but 80% of what HR has been doing for the last 50 years should be killed in the next five. I agree. That there's no, there's like, stop, stop. Like, it's not even a debate. Like, unless HR stops doing what it's been doing for 50, and refocuses over the next five, the function will die. Like, I personally think that the function of HR will die by 2030 in at least half of the large enterprises in the country, and if not the world. I truly believe that. But let's move on to reskilling because that's what's going to drive us there. We should we should have a whole conversation about that. That's, that, that's a fascinating. Yeah, that fascinating is. Prediction. That's loaded. That's loaded. Yep. But. I mean, if you think about the concept of reskilling, reskilling, you know, Gene, back to your comment is I need to, or back to your question, excuse me, is I need to think about what are the things that I'm going to do as an HR function that are going to truly drive an impact to the day-to-day, -day, I'll say it again, day-to-day -day <laughs> business outcome, not yearly, day-to-day -day adds up to yearly, but not measured yearly day-to-day -day outcomes of whatever my business goals and objectives are, okay? And, and by the way, that could be so many different things. And it, that's why at benchmarks and one-size-fits-all stuff drives me flipping crazy because it's not the same. I mean, I can tell you a quick-serve restaurant today, what they're dealing with when it comes to DoorDash, Uber Eats, coming in to get the door, the quick serve restaurant, I'm not going into the name, but one of the big companies we work with, they get more people coming into the restaurant from DoorDash and Uber Eats than they do customers. Is that ripe for transformation? Totally, because I no longer have to have people there talking to customers. I need to have people there talking to drivers coming to pick stuff up. Well, it also tells you so much about our society in terms of expectations and convenience. And, you know, it's also right, right, why right. we're seeing the death of the movie theater in there. I mean, you know, this right. is this is a big shift in our society and our culture. Right. And, and we think about reskilling. You know, how do I make sure that tools like a chat GPT are going to answer my questions as an employee as to what should I do if I want to if I'm dealing with a problem worker, you know, in my organization? How do I deal with that best? Now imagine, not that long, not that far. I I predict by the end of this year, I'm going to ask ChatGPT that question, or a tool like that, excuse me, and it's going to know that I went to the University of Saint Thomas, that the person I'm struggling with went to Harvard, that that person, you know, has been at the company three years. I've been at the company six years, and here's the best way to talk to that person. Now just think about that for a second. Those are lofty expectations. I see John is just aching right. to jump back in here. <laughs> what that means is that 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 I need to have data. Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and what we are supposed to have been doing all along, yeah. not just transactions, but collecting data. And we've kind of skipped over that 
in order to do transactional work and not do this data work that we need in order for these well, tools. Well, because it's work. easy to gather transactional data. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, <laughs> and it's very flat, but it's it's easier to gather. John, please uh, add to this conversation, because I, I can tell that you have thoughts on this. Well, well, well you know, we had, um, do you know Randy Wilback, Jason? We had Randy on last week. Good friend and, with Randy. Um, and, you know, Rand, Randy's view, which I subscribe to, is, is the current large language model stuff is great at generative work. It can give you a, a summary of available things that are out there, and it's terrible at precise work. And the situation that you're talking about is a precision problem, and the data for precision problems lives in worlds that large language models can't touch yet. Right, and so and so the the timeline's a little optimistic, but you're right about how that's going to happen. That 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 it not that long, five years maybe rather than one, that, that we have tools that do exactly what you're talking about doing. And the question will be, like it always is with AI, is whether or not the answer you get is a right answer. And that's, I think, if I were, if I were thinking about the skill that needs to be built most quickly in HR departments, it's the ability to make a critical judgment about whether or not the answer on the table is the right answer, um, yeah, and, whether and John, or not it co comes out of AI. Yeah, John, one of the things that, uh, if, you know, that we always talk about when we do work with organizations is this concept of hands, heads, and hearts. I developed this, these, it was a very simple discussion, but I, it was one night, late, in, late night in Singapore, where someone walked up to me in a bar and said, when are machines replacing people? And I didn't know what to say. I mean, I thought I have thoughts on it, but I said never. But I said there are three, you know, three kinds of body parts, basically hands, heads and hearts. Machines are going to replace the hands work. Machines are going to start to replace some of the heads work, but not all of the heads work. And machines aren't going to replace the hearts work anytime that we see. So where is this going to where are machines and people going to meet? They're going to meet at that heads work. And what I want to do, John, is I want to take the data that comes from a tool. tool and be able to use the other part of my brain to say, now, how do I take that data and talk to someone about it? That's where machine, that, that, that detail you're talking about is not going to be there yet. And probably it might ever, <clears throat> never, I mean, I don't want to say never, but it might never be there. Back to my optimistic about time, John, one of the things I've learned is that if I say five years, people think it's 20. <laughs> so, yeah. little, sorry. so you I'm said one there. so we'll go with little three. deep secret i've decided in 2023 i'm just gonna say guys if you don't start this today yeah because it's gonna be one year yeah in five years you're not gonna get any further along that's the pace in which we move right yeah good point good point that's awesome. uh, just just really quickly you guys i'll chat gpt uh, you know and we talk about this in our community all the time I've just been encouraging people to go try it, including my kids who are 18 and 15, who are like, yes, never write a college essay again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, chill. Yeah. You, know, you might never be writing a college essay from the way you've written it in the past. You're still writing a college essay. You're just changing it into your tone, into your point of view, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and that's where we need to think about, hey, all of these tools, 
Like I, I mean, I have to be really, really blunt with you. Before I started playing with ChatGPT a month ago, some of the stuff I just said to you, I didn't ever imagine. And the only way we can expand our filter is to experiment with some of these tools and then say, how do we apply those tools back to an old, old, old industry called HR? And those of us that do that best are the ones that are going to drive kind of where the future of the HR function is going, in my personal opinion. So, so how does HR do this, Jason? I mean, like, how does HR create this sandbox that they can they they can play with a tool such as ChatGPT? In my personal opinion, Gene, they understand how it works, not to the technical detail, but understand that the only way I can ask ChatGPT to write me a 500-word essay on uh, the Hormel plant in Austin, Minnesota, and you know the strife around labor issues there in 1980, which by the way, if you do that, you're going to get a beautiful essay that's going to teach you a lot about how Selma, Alabama and Austin, Minnesota competed with each other. 65 meant one thing in Selma, voting. 85, or excuse me, 89 in, in Austin, Minnesota meant labor. The only way it knows that is based on data. So I, I just have to say again, and Gene, you've heard me make audiences chant data is sexy. The reason <laughs> I've been saying that forever, not to be able to count heads, but I've been saying that tools like this are going to take these massive data pools that we have as a company and be able to, instead of writing a report, I mean, Gene, you and I are at Ceridian where we type list, emp, name, oh, yes. address, <laughs> you know, in advanced revelation That's to be able right. to get a report. And we were so excited to do that. Oh, it was <laughs> and see the it outcome. Was so easy. It that was actually was easier to write a report then than it is now. Yep. But where I'm going now is I'm going to write a. I'm going to ask a question in English. How many of my people came from Harvard mm -hmm. that have been with the company four years that are ready to move that are not happy where they are today because I'm combining engagement data, background data, et cetera, et cetera, data. And, and that was just one little tiny example. And I'm going to get an answer in a second. And that's so exciting to me. It's going to make our profession like light years ahead of where it is today. So when I show up at a CEO's meeting and I say, I want a seat at the table, you know, I'm going to be there with a seat and be able to answer the business questions that are on those people's minds instead of answering HR questions, which I've been mm -hmm. answering today. Yeah. And if anyone's not excited about that, like, I, I hope. You can see I'm excited. Like, this is the most magical time in this space ever. That's right. Like, I think that we've gone from DOS to <clears throat> mainframe to DOS to client server to cloud, not changing anything. Mm -hmm. Like, this now is transformational. The rest of that was just transition from one tech to the other. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's I can't believe right. John Sumsner just said something to me. He just agreed with you. He agreed with you. I know. Hold on, I have a different perspective. <laughs> right. He actually said that's right. I know. We have to write this day down because this is. <laughs> the the question is the question is how do we help people move into this transformation? Because the transformation is not. This is. We started just before the call. We started talking about how hard it is to transition from the military into civilian life and why that is. The transition that HR has to make is the equivalent of a transition from civilian from military into civilian life. 
um, because the questions are not our internal questions about HR functions. The questions are our questions about how we build out the productivity of the business and increase the focus of the business. And I don't think that HR people are used to thinking that way. John, I, I wrote a LinkedIn post earlier this week on the topic of changefulness versus change management because I was dealing with a client. And the the it was a very, I mean, it, that's not a huge concept. Change management are tools in order to get change to stick. Changefulness is a mindset to change. And the biggest thing that kills HR transformation around the world is we've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. And that's the simple answer. It's the simple answer to everything. I was in a config session yesterday with one of our clients, configing a great piece of technology. And because they've always done it that way, and because it's going to be too hard to change, they did the same thing they were doing for the last 20 years in this brand new technology, and they're expecting something different. So until that's that 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 skill of changefulness and saying that change is the strategy, not the enemy, and that we have to change. You know, I mean, there is a reason that Gina Kelly and I and yourself, John, are still standing in this space, right? Because we've had to change. If Gina and I were still talking about DOS Ceridian, we probably wouldn't be still we wouldn't be here. So like, we would have a very limited audience. <laughs> very, very limited, right? You know, and we look at you know some of the past leaders in the space, like the Naomi Blooms or the Bill Cudix, who have constantly learned. I mean, I'll never forget helping Naomi set up Twitter. Might be one of the best and worst things I've ever done. But, you know, like, you know and, like all of those things, we have to, we've continued to evolve, but the function has to evolve, which is why I'm really excited. I would love it if HR people continued to grow and change, and then HR people became the leaders. Unfortunately, what I see is the business people that come from outside of HR make better HR leaders than people that have grown up with an HR. I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that either. Because they've grown up in this transaction-based, risk-based, if we do that, we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, but there's... there's HR gets beaten down every day, Jason. I mean, it's easy to come in from the outside and, and you know, and be the champion and be the change agent. And I get that. I get that dynamic and I, I get the importance of it. But, you know, when you're sitting in HR, people are showing up. I mean, not necessarily, you know, at your at the door to your office anymore. You know, you're hearing from them other ways, but it's constant. But how do you change? How do you change that, Gene? You make the employee experience better. Like wh- wh- quick serve restaurants, got the people who work at quick serve restaurants got beat up every day mm-hmm. until all of a sudden we make the experience better. Where I'm not going to get beat up. There, so are is, air, yeah. there are airlines that get beat up every day. Airline workers. Mm-hmm. Okay, not every airline. Why? Because some airlines are better than others. I mean, I think that's really. I mean, that's one of the things that people miss when they think about employee experience. It's not just doing it. For the employee, I mean, they're doing it for themselves so that they can move into more strategic work. Right, more work, strategic work, sure. Where they're not going to get beat up every sure. day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to pick up a little bit there before we end and go. Um, HR 
is never HR. And and by that I, by that I mean HR ought to be an expression of the company rather than the expression of a discipline. HR is not lawyering. HR is the way that a particular company deals with its human resources issues and problems and opportunities. And when you bring people who are great at HR into a company, they tend to want to do HR. When you bring operators from within the company into HR, they tend to want to do the company's business. And um, there's always going to be a balance between those two things. But I think we've we've got a long stretch under our belts where we've favored the um, practitioner of HR over the practitioner of the company and its business. And, and it is a good thing to have HR learn about the business by having somebody who cares more about the business than HR at the helm. Yeah, and, and this goes back to tech, John, too, is that we've developed HR technology much more for HR practitioners than for the HR company. People. Then for, for the, the workforce, yeah. Then for the leader. I mean, I was on a call just real quick. I was on the call yesterday with someone who's thinking about launching a, engagement surveys, and I like show me your questions. So they showed me their fourteen questions. Hopefully, no. Well, no one's going to know who this is. They showed me their fourteen questions. I'm like, if and they were showing me their adoption rate over three quarters. So they shifted from once a year to three quarters. They showed me their adoption rate every quarter going down. And I was like, hmm. so let's look at the questions and then look, let's look at what you do with the results. First of all, the questions used words that only HR people know how to speak. So if I was an employee, I would have no idea how to answer them. Second of all, I used a one to five rating scale, which if I was a person, I could say a three versus a four versus a two. How do I know the difference? And third, when the results went back to the employees, everything was anonymized. Why? Because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings or have anyone know that I said that my manager wasn't good. So they're like, this tool, the business thinks is useless. I'm like, the business thinks it is useless. <laughs> it is useless. <laughs> and they're like, well, this our HR people get a lot of value out of it. I'm they like, want to well, defend it. Yeah. They're not going to get any value yeah. out of it if no one does it. Yeah. And they're not going to get any value out of it if they don't actually prescribe actions to take based on that little bit of data that you get from it. So design for the empty chair. I say this all the time. The empty chair is the employee, the manager, the leader. If HR does that, not only are they going to put out tools that make sense, they're going to get better data so that tools like ChatGPT in the future can do their roles. Not the people's roles, do the role that the technology is supposed to do. I want to make sure I said that clearly. ChatGPT isn't going to replace people. It's going to enhance people. Well, I don't, John, John just made a face, but <laughs> but you know what, gentlemen, we are out of time. So <laughs> let us let us uh, let us conclude by having Jason. Please tell our listeners how they can reach you. Uh, you know, email, Twitter. What what are the best ways to get in touch? So, Jason Averbrook at leapgen.com. I'm on Twitter, Jason Averbrook, LinkedIn. My phone number is nine two five nine two 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 six six. I love when random people text me. Um, it really excites me. That's my real phone number. Uh, call me. There's nothing better than hearing human voices also. I love so. that. I love that level of transparency. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. Yeah, we thanks, can't Jason. wait to talk to you again. This is great.
love to come back anytime. Continue great, great work, guys. Thanks. Our pleasure. And thank you to our listeners of the Work Podcast.